Hello and welcome to this episode of Better Off Read. My name is Pip Adam and this is episode 109. Um, this episode is a companion um, episode with episode 108. Um, I'll go over it again, although you may have already heard it listening to episode 108. So during the Aotearoa New Zealand Festival of the Arts um, Writers Programme, I was um, meant to be chairing a session called Time, Love, Memory with Andy Southall and Bridget van der Zaep. But unfortunately, um, that was cancelled due to COVID. So in this episode, episode 109, I get to speak with Andy um, about his new novel, Both Feet in Paradise, which is published by the Cuba Press. Um, We stick, Andy and I stick pretty much to that structure of time, love and memory. And um, yeah, it's it's great to talk to him about his book. Um, If you'd like to hear the other half of this um, conversation and you haven't done so yet, um, Bridget van der Zaep is at episode 108 talking about time, love and memory um, in relation to her amazing book, I Love Me Broken. So yeah, I hope you enjoy this conversation. Thank you very much, Andy and Bridget. Bridget and um, yeah, thanks heaps. Andy, how are you today? I'm great, Pip, and thanks for inviting me on. Oh, it's so good to have you. Do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi, Pip. Um, I'm Andy Southall, and I write travel fiction, science fiction, and any combinations of those genres I can dream up. Um, I'm from England originally, and I moved to Wellington about 14 years ago. It's funny how the years go by, actually. Um, and I'd always wanted to write. And I started my writing career by enrolling at Fitty Rare Writing Course six years ago. And since then, I've written two travelogues and two novels. And the most recent of which is Both Feet in Paradise, which was mentored by none other than you, Pip, as part of the NZSA mentorship program. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the book I'd hope to talk about today. It's just, I feel kind of excited to have seen, you know, to have seen this, like read this book in all its iterations, well, in many of its iterations. And yeah, it's just, it's really exciting. It's really exciting to see it. And Andy, I just absolutely adore this cover. And I'm wondering, like, yeah, this, the way that the butterfly is slightly broken, it's just so beautiful. Um, How was it working with this sort of visual idea of your book? The, the cover was put together by Sarah Bolland at Cuba Press, and she's done a fantastic job. I, I, as soon as I saw that cover, I just thought, yeah, that really sums up what the book's about. And she's the design actually was, I've forgotten his name, but it was a French um, botanist and illustrator from the end of the 19th century. So it's quite an old picture. And she put that together and she's actually merged another one behind it. So it's actually a really clever clever picture she did as I say I was yeah really pleased with it yeah it's magnificent I just love it it's really great so um when we were originally going to be talking at the festival the um the session was named time love and memory and I think that brings together really well the two books and I just wondered I thought we could structure our discussion that way and I thought we might start with time there's this really interesting um effect in your book trying to be careful not to spoil too much but there is this interesting effect of a long history sort of all kind of squashing together and I wonder it's really the two characters Adam and Eve are sort of at a point where um, I think I wrote the phrase like they've got more yesterdays than tomorrows and I wonder what did it feel like writing not only people that have a long romantic history together but also people that just have a lot of life behind them 
Yeah. I, can I answer this question backwards? Yes, because <laughs> um, really the history of the both characters came later on in the writing process because when I started this book I got and again I'll, I'll try not to give away too much but I got a premise of what the book was going to be um, and so because of that and the way it's structured at the start of the book neither of them have really got any history and I mean the book starts in Adam's point of view and his history, actually, he doesn't even know himself what his history really is because he's in a <clears throat> quite disjointed place and, you know, really odds with himself. So it's not really until we get a long way into the book that we actually start to find out who these two characters are. And in some ways, this actually made the writing process quite interesting for me. And I, I was kind of been thinking about this in response to your question, because from, from writing, I started it with a present day situation and put both characters into it. And so they meet and they go through a whole series of everyday things. And, you know, the way they were reacting to those was giving me a clue as to what they were about. But I don't think at that point, I hadn't actually thought, yeah, so, you know, 20 years ago, Adam might have been doing this or 10 years ago, Eve might have been doing that. <clears throat> it came those histories kind of came as a process of meeting them in the present day in the novel and and then they carried on so in a way it was kind of like me as the writer listening to them and them telling me what their histories were and so it, it did come very piecemeal and I think as a further as I went on it was the whole premise of what they're doing really depended hard on them having that history so I kind of met Adam initially I'm going to give you a bit of background. He's a butterfly collector stranded on this little island in the Pacific. And he's trying to get off that island. And uh, so he, he tells us little snippets of his history, little isolated things, which don't actually, some of it's about what he longs for, where he, what he expects to find off the island, but other, then it gets further into things which don't relate to that. And then towards the end of the book, we get into Eve and she goes over that history again, but she looks at each of those things that Adam's told us and gives us a completely different view of it. Um, he's quite rose tinted. He sees all this glorious, oh, this was great. That was great. She comes along and says, actually, no, it wasn't. It was a bloody disaster. Um, so she gives us a, a different view of, of what, <clears throat> what was happening. And, and that I think it reflects them as characters as well, and they're quite different people. So he's a Palangi, he's a foreigner to the islands, whereas she, although she's got an English father, her mother was a local woman. So they've got quite different views on life and on their history. Mm. I think Adam is, he's kind of like a spoiled child. He's, I kind of had a view of an academic who'd never grown up. He's got his face in his book all the time and she comes along, she's kind of feels sorry for him and tr tries to help him and grows to love him over time. But yeah, in terms of writing the characters, I think Adam's view of history was very scattergun. So as I say, he just picks up odd memories, flashbacks, and I, they kind of relate to what he's doing as well. So, I mean, one of them was, and this kind of relates to when I was over there, we, we used to stay at this place and I got this tablecloth and it got all these, it was a plastic, cheap plastic tablecloth that it got all these um, vegetables and fruits on it. And all the names were in French, not in Samoan, in French. <laughs> and that stayed in my head. And I thought, I've got to put that in the book somewhere. 
So Adam goes into a cafe with that tablecloth and that sparks memories of when he was in Paris. Um, and then later on, we get Eve's view of that. And it's Adam believes he's on his honeymoon in Paris. Eve comes along and tells us, no, we were having a big argument about where we were going to go. I wanted to go to the art gallery. You wanted to go and see all these engineering pyramids outside the Louvre. Um, so, it, yeah, quite a different view. And Adam's flashbacks as they go on his history get increasingly paranoia uh, and also almost becoming a bit of a prophet. He's seeing his own demise later on in the book. Mm. Whereas Eve's history, I wanted to be a lot more consistent. So it's it addresses all Adam's scenes, but it kind of puts them together in a, a more chronological way. And I've kind of thought, yeah, history is, it's an antidote to Adam. It kind of comes along and explains what's going on. And I also felt, I've thought about this, she's a bit of a chronicle chronicler. She, she, she's writing a history, but it's in a good order. And so I felt her history, it's still very much rooted in the present. She sees the past as a as almost a kind of directly connected to the present, and that reflects her whole view of the island. So everything she does there, it's because so-and-so might have done that years before, or because I don't know, certain things, but the places she lives in as well are still very much alive in her head. So her parents' house, which she hasn't been to for ages, but it's not that far away. So she can go there. So her past is actually still her present. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if that kind of answers the question, but it it's it was trying to it's the way the two characters see their history and how those histories shape them as characters. And I, I kind of thinking about this, I then had a view actually they're a bit like the, the Roman god Janus. So I was thinking Adam is looking very firmly back at his past, and Eve is kind of in the present looking forward. So they are actually kind of different views of that history like that. Mm. The next topic I sort of am quite interested in about is around love. And I think like in both your books, love's not straightforward, I think. This idea of the love between Adam and Eve, you know, a long-term relationship, you know, and you've already talked a little bit about this difference of worldview. And I'm wondering how, and that's why I think it's what's so clever about what you were talking about before. You know, if you have one character looking back and one looking forward, I think it's it's very, you know, that that does cause an easier way to talk about these the complexities of a long-term relationship. But I'm wondering how you write a long-term relationship but still maintain sort of that narrative arc, if you know what I mean. Like, I mean, I guess, you know, um, a beginning and an ending is often how we think about three acts, whereas this is sort of a, the relationship continues more yeah but have you got any thoughts on that yeah um i think what i've i tried to do was to set the narrative arc very much in the present day which is actually really over a week it starts Mm. with adam confused as hell missing his flight and then eve he meets eve and she sorts things out and they actually do get the flight back to new zealand so that's the main narrative and there's obviously a lot going on with that in terms of we, the, the character arcs change quite a lot within that in terms of Adam, he wants to get home. He's desperate to see his daughters, all of that. So it we go through his journey of, of getting to that point. And the same time, Eve's there as a, an enabler for that. And then we've got Eve's own character arc later on in the book where she's 
or narrative arc where she's she wants to get Adam home as well, and she goes through the steps to do that. So I think that's the that's kind of the the I don't know the the obvious structure of the book, and then there's a, an underlying narrative beneath that, which is their history and their love and how that's developed, and in some ways they both inform each other. So, but I think the the underlying one that you know how they met. How they, how they developed that relationship very much has a bearing on on the current arc and I, I did actually kind of have this picture that it's a little bit I don't know if you remember that picture that used to be in a lot of books so you looked at it and you thought oh that's a white vase that you put your flowers in and then you looked at it and suddenly it wasn't it was a couple staring at each other and I there was that kind of intent to it so that the history changes that present day narrative from the vase to the two people as a silhouette and um so yeah that that's kind of what i was trying to do with that and i think going to try and look at the one technique i used a lot was to i think i've mentioned this already was to describe the same scenes in the past so with adam he starts to reel off some of these scenes and they just seem to come randomly. As I said, they're triggers to things he sees in the present day. And then Eve comes along later on and goes through those same scenes as well. But she describes them in a completely different way. Adam's quite rose tinted about them. She's a lot more realistic. And I, one example is they both they go for a, a weekend at the Chateau. And Adam seems to remember it being as that's when she gave birth or at least started to give birth to Naomi. And had to be rushed to hospital whereas eve doesn't remember that at all she remembers naomi was with them they took her on on a push chair tried for some reason went on a mountain track or some kind of track and adam went off with naomi and somehow upset the push chair and she got there and found her daughter halfway down this hillside and they had to be rescued so quite different views of the same same event and, and likewise with Paris, as I mentioned, Adam remembers it being a honeymoon and he's got this distinct view of them sitting at a table, in one of the pavement cafes, having coffee. And Eve doesn't remember that at all. She remembers a big argument about the Louvre and the art exhibits in it and her flying home separately from him because it was such a bad argument. So it, it's trying to show how they've got different views on the past and from that develops you get a picture of their relationship and I think what I was trying to do was I wanted that history in there and it as I say some of it came later on in the writing of the book but I felt it kind of you see a couple and they're at a particular point in their lives a quite important point for them but I wanted to show that it hadn't always been like that and that that history that moment in time there were a lot of other moments behind that which all stack up to, to get to that um I, i'm just picking up on something uh, bridget said about not knowing if you've got some disease not wanting to know about it there is also that view about anyone at a particular moment in your time unless you know you've you've got some terminal illness or something you don't actually know how long you're going to live for um and i know there is that view about not saying not giving your age if you could give your age as the number of years you've got left so that actually you could have an old person, a young person together. Mm. And the old person might actually be younger than the young person because they'd actually got more life left. You don't know, but it's that kind of, as we get more 
advanced medically that will come i guess we'll have you know you'll be able to go to a clinic and they'll say right well you've got you've got 25 years left unless you happen to be in a car accident and you haven't that sort of thing um but that that was kind of i think what was in my mind about we've got a couple here who are in a quite a traumatic position and i won't say too much because i don't want to give the book away but and but that's based on all these moments that came before and some of them were sad some were happy some were emotional some were arguments and and that, that kind of gone to me what is the nature of love it's not it's not necessarily the you know the big romance boy meets girl sort of thing love is actually built up of lots of moments together that all add up and some of them are quite emotional straining um but it's those moments when people are put into the depths of something into trouble that probably make love stronger and i don't know if i can read it out i'm just trying to find it actually i did actually write something in there that eve's got which is because she draws quite a bit on mythology and i did put a description in there about binding rope it's called afar in salmon so it's about taking coconut husks soaking them in water drying them soaking them getting all the crap out of them and then getting the strands and binding them together and you, and then binding the little ones together and then the big ones until you've got a rope and then you use that rope to actually build houses because all the traditional houses in Samoa there's no nails in them it's all bound with rope and there is a description in the book where Eve sees her love for Adam as that it started out with all of these little strands which got bind together day by day into a stronger rope which then pulls them together so there was there was that that was trying to get to and i think that was what i was trying to do with all these little scenes their different views of it was that together they are are a strong rope i i i think i'm i'm very grateful for both the books in the way that they talk about love you know like i think i i've spent years trying to work out how to write violence you know like how to write you know the anger and the conflict and i think that both these books have helped teach me about different ways of writing about love whether it's family love or romantic love and I think that what's so successful about both the books is that they maintain the individuality of both of the people in the relationship if you know what I mean like I've, I've been watching heaps of rom-coms because I've been trying to learn about love and like often there's like this subsume you know like there's this you know like people become one and I think that's what even in the structure of your book Andy the way there's those two parts but yeah I just think it's so um I'm just always interested in love when it's difficult you know like it almost you know a friend of mine always says that love is commitment and I kind of I don't know I like that both of you have talked a little bit about memory and that was like the third sort of topic that was in our original um kind of um title and I think in a way both of them kind of talk about I don't know if it's the unreliability of memory but the way that we create memories on the information we have and the way these can sometimes change and um Andy you I also was interested um about the memory um of Samoa because my you know you wrote quite a lot about living there you know often I think when we were talking you were using your writing as a as a resource you know like that there was there was written memory and I wonder about the if you've got any thoughts about like the difference between you know like having that written memory there and then also sort of the body 
memory you know like is there some how did you write Samoa while you were living in New Zealand I guess is what I'm asking yeah just to give some background to this so I spent three months in Samoa in 2017 because my wife's a teacher and she went over there to do some teaching and I was just starting my writing career then so the idea was I would I got this in my head that I wanted to write a novel set there so I kind of traveled around just looking for places that would be scenes in in the book and I just kind of wanted to lap the place up and get a real feeling for what it was like not just the physical description and the detail which would hopefully make it authentic but just how I felt and you know what kind of vibes it gave me and I there were two places I went to which really have stayed in my head one was the Robert Louis Stevenson Museum which used to be his house and that was I went there three times and I well the second time I just went around and sat in each room with a notepad and just tried to absorb it all the you know what, what it made me think and it was really interesting for me because it, he was obviously a Scotsman moving over there so it was not only quite a different house to for compared to what else there is in Samoa but it was also a a kind of UK Scottish house so it brought back a lot of memories for me from from where I grew up but I also I'd got in my head that I wanted a really rundown hotel somewhere and we went to Savai for a week and there were two two places up in the corner of it we could stay one was a nice resort with a, a nice beach and nice little fales and a good restaurant and the other was this kind of rundown place which just looked really seedy and it wasn't actually too bad but we went to the second place because I thought this is going to be where Adam is living so some of the scenes in the book came directly from there um and just one thing I remember was we had a a bathroom which was entirely pink and it wasn't pink it was breathtaking baby pink it was just just made you shudder going in there so that had to get into the book somewhere so to come around, I mean, while I was there, I was also writing a travel blog. I was trying to do 800 words a day. And that, when I got back, I put into the travel log book, which was 100 days in Samoa. So in terms of writing here versus being there, I'd got memories in my head, but I'd also got a book I'd already written, which I could keep delving into because it gave me not only details of the places, but it also gave me how I felt there, which was really useful. And I, I remember when we got back, because we got back in October, and initially I thought I was kind of ready to come back because we've been there. It, the heat's great, but it was nice to actually get back to a slightly cooler climate. And I'd got this decision to make. I thought, do I write, do I put all the travel blogs into a travel book now, or do I write the novel, which I've also been scribbling ideas for? And I thought I'm going to try and write them both at the same time, which was not a good idea. Because um, I was kind of working on one one day and the other the next day, and gradually the travel log took over because I don't know it just seemed like I'd got more information for that that point. And but I think now that was probably the right way to do it. So writing the actual novel came the year later, and at that point, yeah, I was a bit removed from Samoa, but I'd got as I say all these written resources I could go back to, and a lot of it was still in my head because it was such a great experience being there it was so different um just quite a different vibe and all things like that that I could still remember places in a lot of detail and you know like our apartment it was kind of I could 
almost visualize corners the you know the skirting board things like that it sounds strange but you could just put yourself there so in terms of and also up here as well the the vibe there i could just see a lot of that so it wasn't that difficult trying to pull back and pull those memories up but i think um one thing that was different when i got back was i started to read a lot more about samoa's history and especially its mythology and some of the old stories and i found this book that was written by one of the early missionaries written back in 1884 and he had gone around and it interviewed a lot of people in different villages all over the islands about what their beliefs were before Christianity came along. And it's actually, it was a really interesting read because it's got a lot of the stories about like Cena and the eel. And there was one of Nathaniel was one of the warrior princesses and also about some of their creation ideas as well. So I started to see this picture of Samuel, which wasn't what I'd seen while I was there. It was this other country, this mythological story-based country um, that, yeah, I hadn't, we hadn't really picked up a lot on while we were there at all, but that started to become an important layer in the book. So there's the physical layer of what you'd see if you arrived there on a plane today. But once you get more into Eve's point of view, there's all this history going back in terms of what she was brought up on the stories that, that are important to her, which explain what, being in Samoa's about and so that started to came out, come out as well and that wasn't something I would necessarily got over there it might have helped if I'd known more while I was there but it was also something I could read about here mm. so yeah there were I think it I don't know it'd be interesting to know what it would have been like if I had tried to write it there um I certainly think it helped by going there because I I could imagine some writers wouldn't spend as long there I don't know and the other thing I have thought about is that the book's not just about Samoa. It's actually set, part of it's set in France, not an awful lot, and some parts in New Zealand. And those bits were actually written based on memory mm. because I wasn't in a position to go to Paris at that time, um, <laughs> much as I'd have liked to. So, yeah, the, those, and, and maybe those don't come across as well because they're very much a tourist memory. But, yeah, it's an interesting concept about how you write, whether it's better to be there and write about it or whether it's better to be removed from it. And I think in my case, there was, it certainly did bring out a new la layer in terms of all that mythology. Mm. I just want to ask one more question that I ask every writer that I talk to, and you do not have to answer this because I just realized I didn't send it to you. Um, but I'm just interested, um, I guess this is a question about how you sustain a writing life. And I'm just wondering what like all even when you are over there like how do we feed ourselves and clothe ourselves and shelter ourselves as well as fitting writing in do you do you have any thoughts about that like are you writing at the moment yeah I am writing at the moment um I mean I I guess I'm sort of semi-retired which is gives me a lot more time in terms of having time to write that said I mean, I quite often find if you've got the whole day for writing, it's really easy just to distract yourself and do other things. So I sometimes think actually, if you've actually got less time, you're more productive than you are if you've got lots of time. Because um, I, one of the books we read on the course that I did at Fitty Ray was Fiona Kidman's book about her early days up in the north. And I remember one of the things she said about how she got power writing, so she didn't have a lot of time but she just had the odd half an hour or an hour and she used to really go for it in that time. And 
I think there's a lot of sense in that because one place I find really good for writing, believe it or not, is in a cafe somewhere. So I want to get away from all my tools like computers and whatever I've got here and just be in a cafe with a, a basically a notepad and a pen. And I find I get a lot more original first draft stuff down doing that than I ever do sitting at a computer. And, and that, again, it's that kind of thing. It's time-based. So it's like I'm here between my first coffee and the scone and whenever I've got to go and pick the car up or whatever reason I'm here for. And so you just really go for it and there's no distractions, but it, it does seem to work that. So, yeah, I come sometimes think there is a some kind of idiom about less is more with writing. The less time you've got, the more you actually get to write. Um, and I suppose the other thing is that since I've got into it, I've discovered that there's a lot of extraneous stuff with writing because um, three of my books have been self-published. So there is actually a lot of extra work in terms of being a publisher and the thing I'm becoming more aware of, and I guess this actually is true for any writer, however you publish, but it's marketing your books so that there's a lot of effort can go into that um, in terms of, I mean, like today, but other things in terms of um, having input to adverts and all of that, that that can take a lot of time up. And that's not writing. That's, yeah. you know, either being interviewed or, I don't know, doing a podcast or something like that. So there is that whole element about writing, which isn't isn't actually writing in itself. That's kind of true, actually, of when you've got a book out there, isn't it, as well, is that, I mean, with my book, it's a year nearly since it was published, and I've had different comments from different people about different things. And I think if I sat down and write it again now, I would do some bits differently, you know. And it's, so it's kind of, your book's never finished. It's like there could be a, another version of it. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>